Um, so for those of you who don't know, every morning we spend half an hour, 20 to 30 minutes reading through scripture. Every weekday morning, we spend 20 to 30 minutes reading through scripture. And then um, afterwards, we, uh, you guys get to endure my rant. I'll you know, sit down and I'll just spend some time in reflection. And I usually spend another 30 minutes. And on some days, I go a little bit longer than that. But the whole intention of the read and rant is to discipline you in engaging you in the reading of scripture. Okay, um, it's a powerful activity and it's an activity that I believe every Christian, every believer of Jesus Christ should engage in. And the thing I think that happens is that for many of us, we are intimidated by um, the scripture because it's often, you know, people will say that it's difficult to understand or it's convoluted or there's all kinds of weird words. And do you see how thick that book is? Like, I don't know if I can ever read through that. And, you know, so I, I, I get that all the time from people. And what I tell them is, first of all, I was never a reader. My wife knows this. I used to have the cheerleaders in my high school uh, when I was I was a jock in, in, in high school. I was a football jock. So I didn't do anything. I let all the cheerleaders do all my homework for me, and I read Cliff Notes. I was horrible, horrible with that. I'm not a reader. I wasn't a reader. Um, but what I learned is, is that if I'm going to grow in the grace of God, I need to discipline myself in the reading of Scripture and I've learned just through my discipline of reading scripture that it doesn't take much to actually read through scripture. Okay. It doesn't take much to read through scripture. You can, you can spend 20 to 30 minutes a day, half a Netflix episode a day, fam, half a Netflix episode a day will get you through a lot of Bible. And I did this on, 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 on TikTok and I'm now doing it on Facebook to show you, to show you this, to, 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 to be an evidence of that. Um, guys, we've now, we're in the ninth week. We're on Tuesday of our ninth week, the second day of our ninth week, only reading on weekdays, spending half a Netflix episode a day reading. And now we've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians. And today we're starting with Ephesians. So guys, you can get through a lot of Bible. If you just discipline yourself to do it. And the thing that I, I encourage m many, especially new Christians or people who feel like, man, I don't have that deeper understanding of the scripture. I just encourage you just read through the whole thing and let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you through that. We read and we pray. We read and we pray. And yes, it is important for us to get into a deeper level of understanding the scriptures. I believe there's a place for Bible study and for a deeper understanding of scripture. But I believe it should all be done on the backdrop of the entire narrative of the scripture. So I want to encourage you guys to read through the entire scripture. And that's why I do this with you. I do this with you so that you can join along with me because I want to empower you to not be dependent on someone to hear from God. You can hear from God for yourself. We as pastors are here and called to encourage you in your walk in faith. Yes, we're here to equip you to go and make disciples. We're here to empower you, but um, we're not here to make you dependent on us for the word. We're here to send you out. And so if we're going to send you out, we need to equip you well. And to equip you well is to teach you how to read um, the scriptures. And that's what we do. So we spend time in reading the scriptures and that's why we engage in this. So we spend 20, 30 minutes a day. I usually cut off pretty hard at 830. Sometimes I go a little bit over, but that's what I do. And if you guys miss a read and rant, because um, I'm going to rant after this for like another 20, 30 minutes, okay? Whatever the Lord is saying, that's what I'm going to speak on. I have nothing planned. I have nothing prepared. I'm asking three questions, okay? These are the three questions I'm asking. I'm asking, what is God revealing concerning himself? 
what is God revealing concerning himself? Um, what is God revealing concerning people? Because ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. And what is God revealing concerning me? Okay, this is my prayerful posture. This is what meditational reading looks like. When we ask ourselves those three questions and we ask the Holy Spirit to convict us as we read this word prayerfully to know what he intends for us. So that's what I do here. Um, and I'll begin to speak into whatever the Holy Spirit is convicting me. And it's only to be an example to you as to how you navigate and engage in the reading of scripture, okay? Um, and so with that being said, I wanna open up with prayer and then we're gonna get right to it. Father, I ask today, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, our quotidian bread. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, speak to us with your word. Lord, engage us in your word. Father, I pray that we would be um, encouraged, that we would be rejuvenated, that we would be empowered by your we thank you already for what you're going to do we thank you lord for the power of your gospel and lord for the revelation of your grace today in every dimension of our lives father let us leave here encouraged by this word that we're about to read and we ask that in your name we pray amen and amen um so we're going to read paul's letter to the church in ephesus this book is called ephesians but it's really a letter it's a letter that paul is writing to a church in a city called Ephesus, okay? And so we're gonna read this letter and we're gonna hear what the Lord has to say to us concerning uh, this letter today. Let's begin. Ephesians 1, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having been made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in all and in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also have we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works <clears throat> all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you always 
uh, making mention of you always in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Hmm. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Hmm. Chapter two. And you he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. And you he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you once, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Ah, yes. Thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, in which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the spirit of his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, hmm. of which became a minister to the gift of the grace of God, which given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God was made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. According to eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Hmm. For this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hmm. Chapter four. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first ascended into the lower parts of the earth? 
He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we come to unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together for what every joint supplies according to the effective working of which every part does its share, causing the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Hmm. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have, if you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on a new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let rather him who labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter five. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons 
of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship from the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine in which dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife and also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Hmm. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We're just going to finish it, guys. I know we'll be a few minutes over, but we're just going to finish the, the letter. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may well be with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition in, of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master is also, also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Put on the full armor of God. <laughs> that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Ah, the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may boldly, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you may also know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychicus. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Ah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, as we have been given the privilege to spend time in your word. Father, I pray that you would, Lord, give us um, revelation this morning. I pray for encouragement. I pray, Lord, for the truth of the gospel, Lord, to make evident, to be made real to us, Lord, as we engage right now with you. Lord, we acknowledge your presence in this moment. So, Lord, just begin to, Lord, um, address us, speak to your children, that we may know you. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Um, this is one of, so I want to preface by saying this, that Ephesians is, um, it's one of my favorite books. Uh, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I think uh, for many reasons, but I think one of the reasons why uh, Ephesians is, has made such a profound impact on my life is because Ephesians is a book that brings practicality to the gospel and the scriptures. Ephesians makes the gospel very, very practical. Like it, it makes it really, really practical. So for those of you who don't know, every morning we start at eight, we start at eight Eastern Standard Time. Okay. We start at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and I spend half an hour reading scripture. And after half an hour of reading scripture, then we just spend some time in meditating and just reflecting on the scripture 
I call it a rant because I end up ranting. Um, and so, and and we've been doing this now for like for for a little over eight weeks now. And in over eight weeks, just a little over eight weeks, we've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, and now we just finished Ephesians. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you see where we're at? We're now in Ephesians. This is how powerful just just committing to 20 or 30 minutes a day, how powerful that kind of discipline is and how it empowers you. I grew in the grace of God, not from reading devotionals, not from reading the U version verse of the day and no knock on anyone who does that. I grew in the grace of God just through reading the scripture, even when I didn't fully understand it. Because the understanding of the scripture can really only be illuminated by the Holy Spirit in our submission to him, not through just simply our intellectual facilities. And so for me, it took me just to back away and just to be a child before God, to be to be ignorant before him. And in my ignorance, the Lord then inserted his wisdom. And so that's why I find myself where I am now. And, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that the Lord led me to him through the ministration of the Holy Spirit in my reading of his word. That's, 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 that's how I got to where I am now. Um, I didn't have, you know, a teacher. I didn't have someone teaching me scripture. I didn't. Um, it wasn't until maybe three or four years into really taking my faith seriously that I finally began to meet other people. And the travesty was, what was interesting is I remember studying um, <laughs> I remember, uh, saying to myself, because I, I started preaching, I started preaching and I started ministering and, and I remember going, hold on, all of a sudden I'm, I'm preaching and there's like this crowd around me. I remember when I started preaching, I didn't think anybody would listen. I didn't think I was a preacher. First of all, I didn't think I could teach scripture. I didn't think I can do it, but I would just give whatever was given to me. Meaning whenever I got a revelation from God, I would boom, I would just share it and, that grew into a whole ministry in of itself. And then when I'm seeing like, you know, 200 people showing up in a room and I'm like, hold on a second, this is crazy. And long story short, it was, I began to meet with groups of pastors and ministers. And I remember pastors saying, well, you need to go to seminary and you need to go study. You need to get deeper understanding of scripture. And so I remember the first university I went to to study, and this is just, you know, I'm going to give you some context and I'm going to go into what I, I believe the Lord is speaking to me today, what the Lord is speaking to me today as I read this. But I just want to give you some background. But I remember um, the first day walking into my Christology course and I'm studying Christology and uh, the professor who was brilliant. I mean, she she's one of the most brilliant, I mean, most knowledgeable people I've ever met. I was said, I wish she would just give me her brain, just put it in my head because she just knew so much. I mean, she was just, I mean, her wisdom was incredible. Her insight was, oh, it was, you can see I'm, I'm, I'm salivating over it, right? But then I'm in a room and for some reason they felt like, they're like, you know, Isaac, we're going to put you in this doctoral class. So I'm in a class with uh, a group of people who are getting doctorates in, in theology, these guys are getting PhDs and doctorates in theology. And yes, I have a PhD. I have a doctorate as well, but I have it in economics. Um, so 
don't know if that's what you meant, Dr. Econ, or who, I don't know. I don't know what you were saying there, but I don't know if that's what you were referring to. Um, and, and I remember sitting in this room with a bunch of doctoral students, all had their master's degrees. They were all working on their dissertations to finish their doctorates in theology. And, and one of the guys in the room, he goes, there's that, what's that one verse that where, where I think it's Jesus. This is what he says. He says, I think it was Jesus that said, I came um, that you may have life, uh, have it more, I think greatly or, and I'm looking and I'm going, hold on, you, you're getting a doc, you're getting a doctorate in theology. You, you're not even sure if Jesus said, I came that you may have life, that you, that you'd have it more abundantly. Like you don't, you don't, you don't know that. And so I'm in this room, me being ignorant with no degree in theology at all. And, and I remember the professor going, yes, Jesus said that. And I saw all the other doctoral students and I was the only student. Everyone else was probably a good 20, 30 years older than me. But I remember all the other students quickly writing it down. Oh, and I went, oh, snap. These theologians don't know the Bible. They just know theology. <laughs> and that was a, it blew my mind. Like it was a boom. Like my mind just went, whoa. Holy mother. <laughs> I was like, all right, I got to rethink this because here I am aspiring you know, to, to to be, you know, a theologian and these guys are theologians and they don't know Bible, but they knew theology because the moment you began to, I mean, the moment they began to speak on ecclesiology, pneumatology, homartiology, Christology, theology, I mean, pneumatology, all the ologies. And then, I mean, they were ready. They were ready. They fired up doctrinal positions. They had all these, they had all the lingo. They had all the language. They stuff that I wasn't even familiar with, but I was never impressed because I'm looking at them going, you know, a lot of ologies, you know, a lot of theologians, you know, a lot of things about what a lot of people wrote about, but you don't know the word of God. And because you don't know the word of God, you cannot know him. So from that moment on, I was like, all right, well, uh, I don't know if I want to continue doing this, but I'll just stick it out. Um, and so it's, 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 it's all to say this to you guys. The most important discipline, even in your young, immature place in faith, it's important that you just read through scripture. Just read the word and read it over and over again. Read it until the truth of it becomes revealed to you. Um, and yes, there's a place for teachers, but if you don't, there's a place for instructors. There's a place for teachers. If there wasn't, then I would not have a job since I, I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and I, um, you know, I attempt to teach scripture. So, um, so it's not to say that we don't have a place. It's just to say that um, it means nothing if you don't engage in the word itself. Yes, your wife is currently in seminary. Congrats to her. The one thing I will say for anyone who's in seminary, um, no knock on it at all, because there's a lot of great resources, a lot of equipping that can happen there, especially in the word and in the understanding of the word. But please do not become so inured by the theology, but rather to continue to stay in commitment commitment 
to a relationship with Christ. And so um, the word is critical. Yes, it is found is foundational. That's right. Okay, so anyway, um, as I read the word, and we're reading from a meditational perspective, and I and I I sense the Holy Spirit even now beginning to move in our time together. Um, and I pray this would be refreshing to you as we engage. But this letter that Paul writes to um, this church in Ephesus, he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And I love this letter because it brings the truth of the gospel into, practi- into practical reality. Like it brings the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ it brings it into it gives you a practical motivation for how we ought to move moving forward i love the theme of ephesians because what the theme of ephesians is is this theme of of god reestablishing his family through christ and his sacrifice on the cross and this family that's being established by god is being established by god as a result of the finished work of christ on the cross So now being a part of God's family is not about simply blood, but it's about faith. That it's not about who you were born into, but it's about your belief in Jesus Christ. And that our faith in Jesus Christ now gives us access to enjoy the inheritance that Christ enjoyed. That's why he says that we are co-heirs with him. We read that not not too long ago, and yet he speaks again here uh, Uh, Paul speaks again here about this inheritance that we get to enjoy. But what I think is most encouraging, my brothers and sisters, as I'm reading through this, and I hope I hope this would be encouraging to you as I read this. Okay, as I read this. What's encouraging to me is that what Christ did on the cross was final. Did you hear that? What Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago is final. It's done. It is finished. I know that sounds so simple, but I want to make sure we're all aligned here. Because sometimes we live in this, in, in this, in this posture, in this mentality that we're still waiting on God to do something. Like I'm waiting on God to to finish things for me. I'm waiting on God to, you know, help me see this thing through. And yet that's not the posture that Paul presents us with as we read this. Paul is not speaking of something that's about to happen. Praise God. I thank you, Lord. Paul is speaking into something that is already done. He's not speaking, anticipating something to transpire. Paul is speaking about something that's already been completed. It's already done. So the posture really that Paul has here is Paul is saying, if it is already done, then see it. It's almost like he's saying it's done. Can you see it? 
It's Paul saying it's already done. Look and see that it's done. Paul says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, it doesn't say he's choosing us. He's, he's already done it. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. It's not that we become holy and blameless. We, we are holy and blameless. Having predestined us as the adoption of the sons, he's chosen us beforehand, predetermined these things beforehand. It's already done. I'm not waiting for the adoption. I've already been adopted. Jesus did not get on the cross and say, it's going to be finished. He didn't get on the cross and say, we got work to do. He didn't get on the cross and say, all right, <laughs> I, you know, uh, step one, done. Jesus didn't get on the cross and say, okay, I, I, you know, God, let's get this over with. So we, no, he was on the cross and the word there was teletestai. Teletestai. It is finished. That's the word that Jesus says on the cross. He says it's already done. So there's nothing we're aspiring for. There's nothing that we're, we're trying to attain. It, it's already been attained. I, I don't need to, I don't need to, to try to do anything. It's already been done. I, I don't need to uh, attempt anything. It's already been done. He says in verse 7, in him we have the redemption through his blood. It didn't say we will have the redemption. It's done. We already have the redemption in his blood. The forgiveness of sins. He's talking about something that's already done. Your sins have already been forgiven. You don't come to God and ask God to forgive you of sins you commit today as if it wasn't already forgiven his grace has already covered. His blood is the price and the payment of all sin, past, present, and future. He has already redeemed us. It's already done. There's nothing, there ain't nothing you got to do. And then in verse 11, in him also we have obtained past tense. An inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul is not speaking into something that's about to happen or something we aspire to see. Paul is speaking about something that's already been done. It's already done. It's already been done. It's already been completed. It is finished. And then in verse 19, he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right, at his right hand in heavenly places. Okay. I love this part. Okay. I love this part because now he's saying this is where Christ is. Pay very close attention. 
because I hope this encourages you. Christ has worked it. He's done it. He said it is finished. He he raises from the grave as a receipt because rising from the grave was a receipt of the finished work of Christ that now death has been defeated. That we are not confined by death or confined by the realities of this world, by the laws of this world. It is already done. Okay, I, I'm going somewhere here. Okay, I hope you you're with me here because I'm just go, I'm just being led. I got nothing prepped. I'm just let me rant. Just let me rant because I, I feel the Holy Spirit and I and I sense the Holy Spirit is encouraging somebody right now and and helping somebody in their faith right now. And the Holy Spirit is revealing His grace right now. The Spirit of grace is being imparted on you right now. That the finished work of Christ is being made real and evident to you right now. He says, which he worked in Christ and raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the father. It's done. It's done. So Christ is now seated at the right hand of the father. Notice he's seated. He's not waiting to be seated. He is seated at the right hand of the father. And look what he says in verse 22. And he put, man, I'm going to walk through this whole book. If you just give me, we're going to go a little over time, whatever. We're going to walk through this because it's going to encourage you. And then he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him head to be over all things, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells in him. Notice, (laughs) notice. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things past tense. He's not becoming the head. He's not becoming king. He's not becoming Lord. He is the head over all things. And notice what he says to the church. He's over all things to the church. And notice what the church is. The church is his body. The church, we, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh, we're going to walk today. We're going to walk through this today. I'm in Ephesians 1, uh, Chris. I'm in Ephesians 1. We finished reading it. I'm just walking through it now. And he put, look look what look, look at it again. Look at it again. Look at it again. Okay, make sure I, I'm not going crazy. Okay? Make sure I'm reading this right. I hope you guys are reading what I'm reading. And he, not will put, he put all things under his feet. Not he will give, he gave him to be head over all things. And to who? To the church. And who is the church? His body. The church, ready for this, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh my goodness. If only we knew who we were in Christ. You know the reason why we walk around struggling, battling, dealing with um, the issues of life dealing with discouragement, dealing, you want to know why we're dealing with these things? We're dealing with these things because we forget who we are. We forget who we are in Christ. He says, we are the fullness of him. You and I, we are the body of Christ. The church is his body, the fullness of him. We are the fullness of Christ. Sometimes we sit around and we look at Jesus and we, we, we pray to Jesus But that's not what the scriptures tell us. We don't pray to Jesus. We are the fullness of him. Ephesians 1. 
We are the fullness of Christ. And he made us alive. I know some people are messaging. I see some of y'all right now messaging saying, man, I missed the reading. Um, just go to our Facebook group. It's called The Font Everywhere. This is actually being broadcasted there. And the read and rant gets saved there. So you can go and catch it there. Okay. The read and rant gets saved there. So if you ever miss a read and rant, you can catch it there. And it's also community. I think Mark is on here as well. Uh, Mark is one of our admins. So, um, if you ever miss anything, become family there. It's a time where you guys can pray for each other, encourage each other, love on one another, share your prayer request, share your story. You can share your whatever you got. We want to walk with you in faith. So it's a private group right now. Um, it hasn't been made public yet, but as long as you send the request, we'll bring you in. We're going to eventually launch it, but I think we hit 400. I think we hit 400 people. Um, and I think we started this, what, a week ago? A week, a week and a half ago. And so... Uh, I know it's going to eventually really grow, but, um, but, um, but yeah. All right. Stick with me, Chris. Stick with me, Chris. Who are we supposed to pray to? See, here's the thing. We, we sometimes, we, we think we're praying to Jesus when what we should be doing is praying in Jesus. Um, we just preached that last week. So Chris, check out that video because it'll help you see what we mean by that. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how we ought to pray. We pray to our father. But we pray in the name of Jesus, in the Son. And we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, so um, I, let, let me help you all out. Let me help you all out here. Because I, I want to I get to what's happening here. If we are the fullness, okay? If we are the fullness of Christ, then we don't look up to Jesus. Jesus is walking and talking and maneuvering on this earth through you. He says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you not say Christ in us, the hope of glory? We're looking for Jesus. If you want to look for Jesus, you should be looking within. I pray to Jesus. You praying to yourself? No, we pray to the Father. But we pray to the Father as Jesus prayed to his Father. And yet Jesus, who gets to enjoy this inheritance, we now become co-heirs. It didn't say co-heirs after Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. I'm, I'm, don't worry, I'm getting to my point here. I want to make sure you know where I'm going here. I'm getting to my point. Okay. We are co-heirs with Christ. Okay. So if we're co-heirs with Christ and we are his body, think about this now, family. And this has already been done. If we are co-heirs with Christ and we are his body and Christ is sitting at the right hand of the father, then where are we sitting? Where are we seated? We ask again. If, if Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and we are the fullness of his body and we are in him, the fullness of his body, we are his body. 
then then where are we seated? Hmm. This is why what Paul says in this book, he says we are seated in heavenly places. We are already seated with Christ. It's already done. It's not something we're waiting for. It's not something we're aspiring for. It's something that's already been done. Look what he says. He says, and you, in chapter two, he made alive who were dead in our trespasses and sins. He's talking in past tense here, guys. He's already made you alive. You, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he's made you. The scriptures actually say he has quickened us in him together. We have been quickened, literally. He took a defibrillator and boom, brought us back to life again. Can dead people bring themselves back to life? Can, can a dead person, only one dead person brought himself back to life. And that was Jesus. And everyone now has been made alive in him. So if you cannot bring yourself back to life, how can you perform for your salvation? You cannot perform. That's why he says, by grace, you, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. He says, for we are, um, for we are his workmanship created. Look what he says now created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He is our peace. Now, this is this part I love is if Christ did this. Okay. Now that we're here, Christ has already done it. If Christ has already done it. And it's already been completed. If Christ has done it and it's already been completed, then this is what the consequence of that is. Verse 14 in chapter 2. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down the wall of separation. It didn't say he will do it. It says that he has done it. He has made us one. The both one here is the Gentile and the Jew. Those are really only two categorizations of all people at that point. You're either Gentile or you are Jew in their context. So he's saying he made us all one. He didn't say he's making us one. He didn't say he's joining us together. He didn't say that he's working on reconciling us. He has already reconciled us. Why? Because if we're reconciled to God, in one body through the cross. That's what it says in verse 16. If we're reconciled to God in one body through the Christ, through, through the cross, thereby he put to death the enmity, meaning we are not separate from one another in him. And then he says in 18, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. I'm walking you down. I'm walking you down. Okay. We're getting, we're getting somewhere. So therefore, if we are all heirs, and this is the word, okay? This is the word here. If we all get to enjoy this inheritance, the question is not who I am. The question is, do I see or believe who I am? 
I know this is going to be a, a, a it's going to sound a little crass, but it's the only thing that comes to mind right now. So forgive me if I if I if I use this as an example. But uh, Dave Chappelle, I, I believe it was his first episode. He had one of the craziest. Uh, we're in Ephesians, uh, G- G- Gillian. Uh, it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. But anyway, um, Dave Chappelle had an episode uh, of the blind, the blind black KKK leader. Now, just stay with me for a second, okay? Because it's the only thing that comes to mind. So hopefully, hopefully y'all 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 can have, y'all, y'all y'all can stick with me here for a little bit. But but Dave Chappelle has the 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 blind. Uh, KKK leader, and you know he's he's racist, and he's you know you know he's he's a, all that we know about KKK leaders. I don't I don't want to go too far with that, but he's blind. <laughs> um, he's blind, and yet he speaks as someone that he is not. He speaks as someone who he's not because he cannot see what he is. All right. Clayton Bixby. That's what it was. Clayton Bixby. <laughs> that's it. Okay. So stick with me, fam. Stick with me, fam. Just because he can't see that he's black, does it change the fact that he's black? No, uh, Richmond, I'm talking even deeper than that. Not even not even just inclusion. Not even, no, not, not, I'm not talking about inclusion. I'm talking about oneness. Because inclusion isn't necessarily oneness, right? If just because he can't see that he's black doesn't mean that he isn't. And just because he's contesting with what he is doesn't mean he's not what he is. So if we are children of God, just because people cannot see it doesn't mean that they're not. Just because you don't have it, just because you don't see it doesn't mean that you're not. You may even be speaking against what you are. And here's the truth. The truth is you don't get to enjoy what you are until you see what you are. Does anybody understand that? And yet in the body of Christ, we we don't enjoy the inheritance of Christ because we don't actually see that we're in Christ. That was the only example that I could use right now that came to my mind. But I hope that helps you understand here what's happening is, is that I see people who do not see. If you ask me as a pastor and as a minister of the gospel, as I pray for people, as I minister to people, I look at people who I know who God calls them to be, but they cannot see who they are. And because they cannot see who they are, they don't get to enjoy what they are. Ah. And this is the mystery. The mystery is, is that we are one in Christ as Christ is one in the Father and we get to enjoy the inheritance of Christ if only we would believe in and on Christ. 
And so what Paul is saying is don't let the world distract you from the truth of who you are. To me, so Paul says to me, who is um, the least of the saints, this grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's saying here is that now that we are one in him, we get to enjoy, we get to be partakers of the promise of Christ. We are partake, guys, we get to partake in what Jesus partook in. I'm getting there now. I'm getting there now. Because now, if we know that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, we know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now we know greater is he that is in me. Guys, the, the theme is all through the scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We are all members of one body. We read it not too, uh, about three or four days ago. We're all many members in one body. We are the body of Christ. If we're all the body and Christ is in us and we are in Christ, we abide in him and he abides in us, then we get to enjoy the inheritance of Christ and the inheritance of Christ says this is now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask for or think according to the power that works in us. You know, we want Jesus to move. We wait for God to move. And God saying, you are the move of God spoke this not too long ago, that we sit around waiting for God to move when we are the move of God. We are the move of God. Look what it says. He says, God, right? God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask for or think. How? According to the power that works where? In us. We can do this all day. We can do this all day, guys. The power is working in us. The power of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the sons of God, all this happens through us. So we should be, that's exactly right, SJ Mama, we should be moving and walking as we are. We should be walking as Jesus walks. When I walk, Jesus walks. When I talk, Jesus talks. When I speak, Jesus speaks. Yes, in him we live and move and have our being. He, he's using that term. He took what they believed when they were serving these other gods. He's saying, no, we don't serve those gods. Paul is saying in him, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Right? He says in him, that's in Acts, I believe, Acts chapter 17. Which is, in him we live and move and have our being. He's saying, I move in Christ. Christ moves in me. We're... We are the manifestations of the sons of God. So Paul is saying, and now I'm, I'm almost there, guys. I'm almost there because I know I'm going way over time and I'm ranting. But I, I want you to understand where we're going here. In Ephesians 4, now verse 1, Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He's saying, Act like it. Act like it. Act like what you already are. Act like what you already are. We're waiting for permission for things we have 
so much authority. We already have the authority for it, and yet we're waiting for permission. We're waiting for, for God to, to give us permission. We already have the authority. So act like it. Walk worthy of the calling by which you are called. You already have the power. And yet in Christ, you all become one. He says there's one body, one spirit. Just as you are called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all, in all, and through all. He's telling you already. He's in you all. I, am I? Are y'all reading what I'm reading? Because people sometimes go, man, that, that's kind of weird that you would say that God is in me. Like, I, that's weird. That's weird that you're saying that God is in me. Pastor, I don't know. That sounds kind of weird. It doesn't get clearer here. Verse 6, there's one God and Father of all who is above all, who is through all. And then he says, and in you all. You know, I think we would act differently if we knew that God is in us. I think we would act differently if we knew Jesus was in us. I think we would act differently. I think, I think we would behave differently if we knew that uh, Jesus was not just with me, but in me. Like when I look at my hands, I see Jesus' hands. When I walk, Jesus is walking. I think we would we would act differently if we knew that I am the fullness of Christ. Well, I'm coming back now. It's all coming together. I think we would act differently. We would behave differently if we knew that we were the fullness of Christ. We just read it. We are the fullness of Christ. I think we would we would live differently if we knew we were fullness of Christ. I think if we knew that we were Christ manifest on this earth to fulfill his mission, I think we would we, we, we would get over some stuff pretty quickly if we knew we were the fullness of Christ. If we if we knew we were the fullness of Christ, like if we knew that he was really in us, like he didn't he doesn't ask for permission to leave us. He doesn't walk away and come back. If we knew Christ was in us, we would knew, know that God can never leave us. I think if we knew that Christ was in us, we would know that even when times are dark, Jesus is there. And I, I think we would know that if we, if we knew that Christ was in us, we would we would know that that I'm greater than anything that stands before me. And and if we knew that Christ was in us, we'd get over ourselves very quickly. And and if Jesus was if we lived like that and knew that Jesus was in us, then then then, then we would. We, we would learn how to administrate our our broken marriages. And if we knew that, that Jesus was in us, if we all knew that, like if we knew it, we would live differently, behave differently. We would talk differently. If we knew Jesus was in us, we could easily walk away from that that person that we're having the affair with. And if we, if we knew Jesus was in us, we could easily walk away. We would begin to walk away from those addictions and afflictions. And if we knew Jesus was in us and, and, and he was walking with us, there's some things that we've been doing in the dark that we would stop doing because we would know this Jesus doesn't do that. Hmm. Ah, it's hard to see. Yeah, JC. So true. 
but it but it starts with knowing that that he's in us and now Paul is bringing things full circle because Paul is not just he, he's, he's making them know that this one God and father of all who is above all and through all is also in you all and if he's in you all then walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. If he's in you all, then live like it. If he's in you, then act like it. Notice, you don't get to lose your status in him. You can't, unless God is a liar. You don't get to lose your status. But now, you can walk in it because he is in you. He is with you. He is above you and through you. And he, he works in you. <sighs> and I love it because now Paul leads us into, when we get into Ephesians 5, from Ephesians 4, Paul is, is, is now saying, if these things are true, and you know these things are true, this is how we live. Paul is saying, this is what comes out of the knowing. Don't try to do this without knowing. <laughs> Y'all catching me? Like, don't, don't try to, don't try to stop sleeping around with that guy without knowing. Because here's what you can, here's what you are. You're just a celibate lost person. Oh man, now we're going to get in trouble here. Hold on. Let me just, let me sip some of this coffee real quick. Before it goes cold on me. Don't. Don't beat that drug addiction. Without the knowing. Then you're just. Beating a drug addiction. Still lost. Well pastor. I ain't sleeping around no more. Yeah but are you a child of God? That's why he'll take a David. Who had multiple affairs. Committed multiple sins. And he'll call David the man after his own heart. The prophet to the nations. But David was a sinner. David was a son. <laughs> That's why there are people who are good people. And yet they're still lost. And there's some wrecked up people. That are sons of God. He doesn't want. It's not about the flaws. It's about knowing. Who are you in him? Because when you know who you are. In Christ. It transforms you. You're not lost anymore. Because you get to walk in the authority of Christ. Now you have power over sin. Now you're. Because now you know who you are. You know. Jesus is alive in me. He's alive. That's why people go, oh, give me proof that Jesus is alive. You know what I tell them? Look at me. <laughs> they say, I need proof because no one's give, given irrefutable proof that Jesus rose from the grave and is alive. There's no proof of Jesus being alive. And I go, oh, you want proof that Jesus is alive? They're like, yeah, I need proof that Jesus is alive. Here he is. <laughs> He's right here. No, but we need to see Jesus. You want to see Jesus? 
Here he is. <laughs> and I'm not being facetious. Christ is in me. Christ is on me. Paul said, put on Christ. Christ is on me. He's in me. He's through me. He's above me. <laughs> Woo. You want you want to see Jesus? That's why people go, well, I don't see evidence of Christ. You want evidence of Christ? His church. That's the evidence of Christ. His church. Show me proof that Jesus is alive. Take a look at his church. No, but we want to see his body. There it is. His church. No, 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 but we want to see his body. His church is his body. And so he's saying, walk worthy of the call. He says, walk in wisdom because you are Jesus. I love this part of the scripture when it speaks on marriage. Because we read, wives submit to your husbands and husbands. You know, this is always a debate. This whole marriage thing. This, this marriage, I've seen pastors teach this. And I'm going to say something that's going, that might get me into some trouble. I don't, I hope, I don't know. Somebody probably screen recording. This is going to get me in trouble, but whatever. I don't care. Whatever. I see all these pastors, right, who would teach this. And they teach marriage. They say, okay, this is what the Bible says about marriage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then they'll, they'll read it and they'll tell you all the things that wives should do and how she should be submissive and the things she should do. And they give you all these tips and these, these things. And then, you know, and then some pastors, if they're good enough, They'll teach their husbands how to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then they'll teach them all these things about how husbands can love their wives and how they ought to love their wives and, and how they are to give themselves up and all this other stuff. Here's the thing. They're all teaching it wrong. They're teaching it wrong. I've been, I was one of those guys as well. I was one of those guys as well. Um, um, Oh yeah, Pastor Ray. Uh, submit to one another in the fear of God. Yeah, they forget that that we we submit to one another. But anyway, going back to that. But but they miss it. They read this scripture, and they take this scripture as how husbands and wives ought to love each other, and they miss it. They miss. So let me help you out, okay? And now I'm gonna close out on this because I gotta go. Oh my gosh, I've gone. I've been ranting for almost an hour now. This is this has become a sermon. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, let me help you out. <clears throat> let me help you out. Well, I submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Here are all the rules of how to do it. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. Got it wrong. We just talked about all the things that Jesus did. All the stuff Jesus has, ac has accomplished. All the stuff that Jesus has done. He's finished. It is finished. He does all this stuff. Out of all this, he now lives in us. We live with the faith of knowing that he's all in us. Cool. We got that. Out of that now comes a way that we live because we live that way out of knowing what Christ has done. What has Christ done? Christ has made us one with him. What does that mean to be one with him? How are we one? How do we show that we're one? Please help me, Pastor, understand this because oneness is a weird concept to me. I don't fully understand this oneness thing. How can we be one? Like, how am I one in Christ when I'm still a separate person? How is Christ one in me? I need to understand this oneness. Respect to you, sir. Um, how is this, how does this oneness thing work? Help me understand this oneness. 
You want to understand oneness? Here's an example. Take marriage. Marriage is what manifests out of the ministry of what God has accomplished on the cross. And it's brought into full reality here. This is not how the things we ought to do, to do, to do, to live, but how we live out of what Christ has done. The whole purpose of Paul even showing all of this and using this as an example is really from verse 32. He's saying, this is a great mystery. Everything he just said up to that was a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and his church. Paul is saying, I'm showing you how godly marriage points to Christ and his church. That out of our knowing of our oneness in him, we can live out this reality that we see that wives can submit to their husbands and that husbands can love their wives in mutual love and submission because that is the mystery. The mystery of Christ is our unity. How are we seated with Jesus in heavenly places? How are we seated with God? How, how does that happen? How does any of that make sense? We'll take a look at marriage. That's what he's saying here. When now it's not a man and a woman, but the two become one. Right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord. One. Because now that we're one, we can live out these things. Not live out these things to be one. Now that we are one, we walk worthy of the call. How do we walk worthy of the call? How do we live as Jesus would live? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your, your wives. You know, a side note. Um, you know what's interesting about this verse, um, this passage, is I hear so much about wives submitting to their own husbands here. I always hear that. Like I, That always comes up, right? But the larger portion of the scripture speaks about what the husbands are supposed to be doing. Like a larger proportion of the scripture talks about what the husbands should be doing. He spends more time on what the husbands should be doing because the husbands are the representative image of Christ. I posted a, a thing about um, husbands and, you know, whatever. It, and man, people got upset. Like people got hot. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This is First of all, I don't get offended by any of that. Because I know if I, if, I, if I get you pissed, I, I piss you off, I piss you off. But, but, but everybody got upset and all that. And they're like, uh, yes, he's the head. Yes, he's also the head of the wife, of his wife. No, he's not the head over his wife. He's the head of his wife. Um, and that's another conversation. Um, because she's still the fullness of him. Right? He's, she's still the fullness of him. And he is the head of her. And so he is in her and she is in him. They're both one flesh. Um, <clears throat> but anyway. Um, <laughs> um, anyway. The guys got upset. They got hot. You know, they were angry. But I said, you know, you know that there's only one thing. He says, wife, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, so also is Christ the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church says, so, so he gives that one. But his husbands, that husbands are the emblem of Jesus. And there was some guy, I can't, I can't submit to my wife unless, 
I mean, I can't love my wife because then she'll use it against me. I can't love her. Like, I hear what you're saying, Pastor. Like, I need to love my wife. But I can't, I can't love her, Pastor, because, you know, if I love her too much, then she'll start using that against me. So? So? Yeah, but Pastor, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's not. It isn't. But what did Christ do? When when Christ loved you, did he wait for you to submit to him? When Christ loved you, did he did he wait for you to get it together? Did you did you wait for for did, did he wait for you to perform? Or did the scripture say in Romans 5:8, but God demonstrated his love. In that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Hmm. Did not this image of wife and husband and the, the people of God being the, the, the bride and the, and the man of God, Christ Jesus, our reconciler, being the bridegroom, wasn't that image shown in Hosea when, when, when Gomer was prostituting herself? And, and God told Hosea, go and get her because I need the people to see the image of what I'm, what I have done for them and what I will do for them. So, Pastor, are you saying to me that if, if she doesn't treat me the way I should be treated, I should still love sacrificially for her? Yeah. But I need to wait. I, I need to wait for her to get it together. No. You don't. If you wait for it to get it together, that's called conditional love. That's not agape love. Agape love is unconditional. The weight is actually greater on the man than on the woman. You know what the problem is? A lot of men want to give conditional love, responsive love. But when you know the gospel, when you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the stuff we just talked about, what Christ accomplished and did on the cross. It compels you now to be the husband who loves his wife as Christ gave himself for the church. Now, it's not to say that there isn't a place for divorce. Christ permitted divorce, but he said it came out of the uh, out of our own hearts. You know, even in the body, there are those who Christ joined with on the cross, but never consummated with them because they never came to him. So yes, she has to also receive him as well. But you don't wait for your wife to love you or to submit to you to love her. That's not actually what Christ did. So actually in those seasons when you're going through that kind of pain, you get to partake in the suffering of Jesus Christ. See how, see how perspective changes when Christ is in you? You see how your perspective changes when, when Jesus is in you? 
when you when you know that Jesus is in you. Now, when you cry, it doesn't take away the pain. But as a man, you cry knowing that you're partaking in the suffering of Jesus Christ. Christ has already done it and now it's accomplished through you. Guys, I love you all and love you too, Christy. This is how we ought to live. What Christ has already done, we now live it out in him. We live what he's already done, what he's already accomplished. And so that's what I want to pray into today is let us live out the reality of the gospel. Father, I thank you. Lord, for the privilege in this time that you've given to us, Lord, that we would live out the reality of your gospel. Lord, what you've already done, Lord, that it would be made evident and manifest in us that we would see the working of your gospel in all that we do. Lord, bless us, Lord, throughout this day. Lord, let us be reminded that we are in you, that you're living through us, that, that you are in us, Lord, manifesting your work and your power and your mission through us. So be with us, Lord. We ask that you bless everyone who heard this, Lord. Let this take root in their hearts. Let it take root in my heart, Father. If I'm being reminded right now of the implications of what you've done. And we say that in your name, we pray.